Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol on the board of the National Council on Aging. She's the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a nationally known gerontologist who spends a lot of her time dealing with the kind of issues we talk about right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. And Carol, we got a neat guest coming up, Carol Bradley Bursack, who is the founder of Minding Our Elders Decades in Caregiving. Well, and she's also quite an accomplished writer. You can always tell when somebody's been, you know, a writer that's the, the person that's it's internal and it comes out so that she's translated her experiences um, in caregiving into wise words on caregiving. And she's got some great stories, and we'll talk to her in, in just a couple of minutes. But I was thinking as I came in today, there's a feeling one gets when you think you're coming down with a cold. Well, there is. And, you know, we've had such a horrible flu season. And I came back uh, to work after whatever the last three-day weekend was. And I'm so, I was thinking, ah, flu season's over. It's going down. I'd read it in the paper. And everyone at work had a cold. I mean, everyone is coughing and sneezing. And I thought, oh, no, here we go. So I found an article. It was like grandparents.com that said, are you making your cold worse? Oh. And I thought, okay, let's see what that's all about. So are you making your cold worse? Um, And the things that can make your cold worse, if you happen to be one of those people who's getting an early spring cold, which no one likes, or late winter, wherever you live, um, not getting enough sleep. And those those are all the people at work who didn't stay home and get that extra rest. You know, we just push ourselves and keep going, going, going. But, you know, we can only heal when we're asleep. Our immune system really, that, that nappy feeling and sleepy feeling. That's how you recharge. That's that, that's some your body telling you you need to rest. Um, the other one is not drinking enough water. And this is advice that's, you know, finally getting out just all, all the time. You see people now carrying their bottles around. But if you have a cold, you're taking those decongestants that dry you out. You've got all your noses running. There's a lot of things that are dehydrating you. So juice, water, and chicken soup can help rehydrate. And wash your hands. And Yeah, wash your, always wash your hands. Um, you know, I thought this was great advice. It says overusing medications. So rather than taking the medications that cure everything all at once, every cold symptom you could possibly have in your whole life. And, that pill <laughs> and some you never thought of. Colors. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? If your nose is running, take something to keep your nose from running. You don't need the, something that takes the fever down if you don't have fever or body aches. So they said pick and choose the symptoms that you're trying to manage and don't overuse the uh, medication, which is good advice. Um, what else can aggravate a cold? Obviously being around smoke. If you've ever had a cold and been around a smoker, um, then you know that the smoke kind of sticks. Not fun. And then the last one is, you know, that stress. We're going to go back to the sleep. Stressed out, again, lowers your immune system. You're not going to heal as fast. So you can take a cold seriously, and then maybe you'll get it over a little faster. And a lot of grandparents are caring for grandkids who are little Petri dishes. Well, they are, and those little Petri dishes, they bring the germs home, then you get it, and then you go give it to your mom, your dad, the person that you're taking care of. Um, and some people, a cold can turn into pneumonia or something worse. So you want to take colds you know, a little more seriously if you're a caregiver. Now, you've gotten pretty good at writing teases. And you said to me before we came into the studio, why don't you ask me, uh, shame on you. 
Shame on you. Shame on you. You know, I think we've talked about this particular subject before, but I, I, it's come up again, and it's shaming people who have moved their loved one into a facility. And this is not unusual. We, you know, how many of us have, how many of us have heard a story about a cousin, a sister, a brother coming from out of town? And saying, "Oh my, you can't, you can't put mom in a nursing home. She wants to stay at home. You promised you would care for her at home, and just you know, either read them the right act for placing them or wanting to place them." Fellow we work with here, and I won't identify him, had that happen. Uh, he was caring for his mother. He really needed to put her into a home. His sister, who lived in another city, was just beating him up. How can you do that to mom? How can you do that? And finally, he said, "I think you ought to spend a few weeks with her. I'm sending her to you." And, and did that did that actually happen or just the threat? She changed her view right away. Changed her just view. the threat. Well, and that's it. Other folks, you know, may not be doing twenty four seven care. They haven't watched, you know, the de- decline. They haven't seen all the falls. They haven't been up every night, day after day after day. And so, this is just advice. If you know, if you're a caregiver and someone's trying to make you feel bad for placing your loved one or thinking about placing your loved one, you know, I often tell people, know inside when it's time. There's a place in you that you can feel it. I can't do this anymore. And if you hit that place, then you shouldn't do it anymore. And it's time to place your loved one. I love what you said to your husband. If you ever need full-time care, Ernie, you're out of here. <laughs> well, I said I will find you a good place and I will come <laughs> visit often. Yeah. Well, I was just sort of shortening yeah, that was a little the short. message. That was a little hard. A little short. Yeah. Ernie, she didn't mean it that harsh. <laughs> now, while we're thinking about this, why don't we just kick back, light up, and smoke a joint? This comes from Ohio State, which I know is your alma mater. That would be the Ohio State University. The Ohio State. Oh, excuse me. That's okay. Yeah. And and this is about marijuana and aging brains. So we're finding all kinds of things about marijuana these days. But did you know a puff of marijuana a day may keep Alzheimer's away? Light up. <laughs> Light up. One puffer on. I said one puff. So there was a... They, Somebody along the way realized that aging 60s-era hippies have less Alzheimer's than other groups, and they were like, why is that? Is that true? No, it is true. And so the component that's in marijuana um, actually reduces inflammation of the brain, and inflammation is one of those things that causes dementia. And so, you know, the most important thing is they found out it's one puff. It's not smoke, you know, weed all day long or light up a joint. Um, and the other thing is that they're actually, um, in Europe, they're developing medications that can mimic the chemicals in marijuana without actually having to have somebody actually smoke marijuana. And so, um, you know, in the United States, because of the way we've classified marijuana, we can't do the same kind of research here. So we're not developing any drugs uh, that act the same because we can only use marijuana in animals. Uh, but that's changing as more states are allowing medical marijuana I'm not saying that you should go out and smoke a joint if it's illegal where you are, but it is interesting uh, that there are true medicinal uses for marijuana. She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, we're going to talk in just a couple of moments with a woman who has been involved in caregiving literally for decades. Carol Bradley Bursack will join us right here on 930 AM. The answer. Now, you heard what you needed to hear on marijuana uh, there's also some interesting news. We've been talking over the last several months about peanut butter and, and Alzheimer's. And every morning, Carol and I open a jar of peanut butter and make sure we can still smell the peanut butter as a sort of screening test. There's a new test 
for early onset Alzheimer's. Yes, there's a new test also developed at Ohio State. I think Ron must have been going through his newsletter, um, and it's called SAGE. It's the Self-Administered Gerocognitive Exam. So this is a test you score yourself. Not uh, like the one the doctor may give you in his or her no, office. No, not like the mini mental status where you have to name the presidents and count backwards from seven and do the date and all of that. I've been practicing all that. Yes, you can practice. I have been. <laughs> <laughs> For the paranoid in us, you can practice. Right. But what's good about this is that, you know, you can you can fill it out. It's There's an Apple app, braintest.com. So, you know, if you're technologically savvy and you want to test yourself or test your loved one, uh, and you can download it and take the test. And, and what it's designed to do is to find cognitive impairment earlier so you can have a discussion with your doctor, plan accordingly, um, and just know that it's not your imagination, something may be going on. And the screening test seems to be pretty accurate? Um, they said it is accurate. It's like 80% accurate. That's pretty good. Which is pretty high. Um, you know, if you, if, you're just, if you don't want to sniff peanut butter or do this app online, um, one of the things I have learned over the years is that if you really are concerned about your loved one and their cognitive ability, the clock test is probably the single shortest and best test where you have somebody draw a clock, uh, just the face of the clock, and then you tell them to put the time on it. Um, and if someone can't accurately do the time, the hands of the clock, uh, then you know for sure um, it's it's something needs to happen because that shows very definite cognitive impairment. It's interesting because you wouldn't think that would be difficult to do. Well, you know, I remember the um, exam with the physician with my mother when she couldn't do the hands of the clock. Really? She had been able to do it in the past, and this one exam, she kept saying, now where's the little hand? Now which one is the little hand? No, I know this. The little hand, well, of course I can do this. And she was very rattled that she couldn't draw the clock, but she literally could not. How did it make you feel? Well, you know, that's one it's of those, sad. it's a sinking feeling um, when you're watching somebody struggle like that. So, you know, I, it, but, it's a, but it's a good and accurate test. We're going to get our guest down in just a couple of moments here as we line her up. Carol Bradley Bursack, founder of Minding Our Elders. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, this has been interesting. So we're smoking a joint, smelling peanut butter, trying to give ourselves a self-administered mini mental status test. Uh, and coming up next on the Caregiver Teleconnection are some pretty good topics. Well, we, we have someone from the Lewy Body Dementia um, Association that's going to talk about Lewy Bodies, and that's on March 27th uh, on our Caregiver Teleconnection. If you go to caregiversos.org, You'll find the teleconnection in all the sessions. And just like this show, we record it. So you can listen to it anytime. But you, you may recall that Lewy body was the disease that Robin Williams had, and he ended up committing suicide uh, because, you know, he had some dementia going on and people didn't recognize it. Was it was not diagnosed. Yeah, it was not diagnosed. And so, you know, what I think is important, many people think every type of dementia is Alzheimer's, and they're not. They have different, you know, they progress differently, they um, hit at different ages, and they affect the brain differently. And so it's good to be armed with information about the different types of dementia. Uh, this one is the one that can cause people to all of a sudden spend all the money in the bank account um, and not feel any remorse wow. whatsoever. It really affects, you know, their emotional maturity and their sense of uh, responsibility. And so somebody who's doing some really weird things that are totally out of character you know, that's not Alzheimer's. That may be Lewy body. So if you've got concerns about that, 
um, check out the Caregiver Teleconnection on this. Uh, you could also listen to Dear Lucy, Lucy Berrylack, our social worker from Canada, who's an expert. She won the Queen's uh, Medal for her services in caregiving. And you can ask her any questions. So look for a, a Dear Lucy session um, on the calendar and tune in for that. Now, for those who don't know about the Caregiver Teleconnection, give us the 411. Well, it's a free service where we let caregivers talk to professionals about a variety of topics. You can also talk to other caregivers. And all you have to do is call in 866-390-6491 and talk to a live person. We'll get you signed up. One more time with the phone number. It's 866-390-6491. And Caregiver Teleconnection, again, as Carol said, it's a free service using the base technology that everybody has access to, the telephone. You've got a phone, you can participate. And some great topics coming up. We're going to move right along, and we're going to talk in just a couple of moments here with someone who has been in the caregiving field literally for decades. Carol Bradley Bursack will be joining us, founder of Minding Our Elders, Along with Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, as we have been promising, we are delighted to welcome to our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, Carol Bradley Bursack, who is the founder of Minding Our Elders and author of Minding Our Elders, a book that deals with a whole lot of issues involving caregiving and dealing with and caring for folks who are getting up in their years. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And Carol Bradley Bursack, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Ron. It's really great to be here. Now, you've been spending a, a lot of years as an author, a columnist, a consultant, speaking about issues involving caring, and, and you got into the business how of caring for a neighbor and six older family members. How did that happen? <laughs> it covered almost two decades. I had a neighbor living next door whose wife died. He was in his 80s, and he was 100% deaf, no hearing, whatever. And uh, when his wife died, my young children and I just kind of adopted Joe. And we spent five years with him, and it was quite an experience. And uh, there was a short break, and after that, it was a matter of my aunt and uncle, who had no children, started having issues. And then my dad had brain surgery, which sent him into dementia. My mom was ill. My in-laws became ill. And for a while, I had five people in different places I was trying to care for, besides my children, of course. Of course, you have to add in the children as yeah, well as the, as well as because you didn't have enough. So, oh, right. with, were all five people? Did you say they were geographically dispersed as well? Um, actually, what was kind of fortunate, um, I, I say that I, I drove around in, in circles for for years. 
<laughs> in the same town. But um, we were all kind of on the same end of our metro area, which almost made it like being in a suburb. And um, my my elders, well, my next door neighbor, of course, was Joe. He was right next door. But when it came to my aunt and uncle, they moved out here from the east. Um, they got an apartment near my parents. And then uh, there was a nursing home two blocks away from my home, and my in-laws lived near that. And so as people's health went down and they needed help in one place or another, I would just kind of drive around, meanwhile stop and get everybody groceries and take them to the doctor and do those things. But I was seeing um, several of them in different locations for a lot of years. So did was you know did you have any background at all? Did you just go into this cold uh, from <laughs> from not knowing anything about working with older people, or had you had you know been around older folks growing up? I was very close with my grandparents on both sides, and my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, had rheumatoid arthritis. She'd had it since she was 26, and she had become um, quite crippled with it. And during um, seven years of my teenagehood and, and those years, she lived with us. And so to me, it was absolutely normal to be part of the aging generation. I mean, there, there just was no generational divide. And I think that probably did have something to do with it. Um, I'm also one of these people who's, you know, somebody falls down, I've got to fly, fly over everybody else and fix it myself. <laughs> so that's a little bit of an issue. But uh, it's so a little bit personality, but a great deal of it was just um, being around older people, and it was a natural thing to do. Well, so you were taking care of half of the town, um, and then <laughs> yep. you decided to just keep going. So, you know, what what happened? What made you, to, after caring for everyone or while you were caring for everyone, how did this evolve into books and stories? Well, you, you turned your whole life into caregiving. It, I'll have to say, as I told my sister just a few days ago, I didn't choose it. It chose me. Um, however, what happened was my dad had... Um, a World War II brain injury that was starting to cause him um, some issues, just a little fuzziness with fluid building up, nothing dramatic. But they decided that a shunt should be put in to drain that fluid. And um, sadly, he was one of those um, situations where it always happens to other people. But he came out of surgery completely uh, different person, um, deep into dementia, and lived that way for 10 years. And so we had to move Dad to a nursing home. And meanwhile, I had all the others who were had that strokes, you know, those those things that happen. And um, so some of them passed on, and I was working full-time for a newspaper. I also um, just felt the need. I think it was Dad's issue, really, that made me feel the need to, to write about. I'd always been a writer, but, I mean, to write about caregiving. At the time, there was very little attention paid to family caregivers. Doctors didn't welcome us in the exam rooms. They really didn't want us around because we asked questions. And, of course, I'm generalizing here, but this tended to be the outlook. Um, there wasn't much. Um, there were no places to go to find out the resources or very few. And uh, I just felt that I needed to interview other caregivers over at, at the nursing home to touch base and to get something out there that would let other people know that they weren't alone. Stay with us just a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio, and we are talking with someone who is truly steeped in caregiving and delivering services for folks facing a variety of challenges. Carol Bradley Bursack, she's founder of Minding Our Elders, 
and author of Minding Our Elders, a book, is this correct, Carol, that is uh, used as a textbook in uh, gerontology courses? Um, yes, uh, for the humanizing aspect of it. It is not an academic book, but it helps, um, I, as, and I've talked with many groups of, of professionals as well, because it helps them to understand what caregivers go through. And it was written at a time when really there hasn't been much done. In fact, when I was trying to get it published, an agent said, we love your writing, but nobody's interested in this issue. And so things have changed a great deal since, since um, that particular book came out. Yeah, only because there's some 60 million caregivers out there, right? Right. And they've, they've kind of woken up to that fact over these past years. Because I've been writing, my newspaper column started um, because I was, my day job was as a uh, news librarian. And I started, I took a long time to talk them into letting me try a newspaper column on caregiving. And that was a hit, and that's 12 years ago. And it's still going. Well, and you've written, and you've written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, online blogging. So, you know, in your book, it, it says, Minding Our Elders, Caregivers Share Their Personal Stories. What kind of stories are these? I wrote the book for busy caregivers knowing they don't have a lot of time. And what I did was, Purposely, each story is only a few pages long, but they're quite dramatic, actually. And I went to um, each caregiver when I lined them up, and I would sit and talk with them over coffee. And what was amazing was that with caregivers I found, you didn't have to ask them questions. I would go prepared, but I just said, how is it going? And then they'd talk for three hours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the Kleenex, too. Right, and there was nobody to listen to them, and they were just so glad. But the stories are all varied. Some involve Alzheimer's, some don't. Some involve um, the first time they'd ever admitted to anyone in public that there are sibling issues galore with caregiving. And um, the frightening things you go through in watching somebody on the verge of death, and how do you move across the country, and so what do you do? Um, there were several long-distance caregiving stories. They're just they're from all over the country. Which yeah, are the ones yeah. that uh, really touched you the most? Oh, one of them was a woman who was a recovering addict, and she started to help a woman who had taken her in. Uh, I would say that had to be one of them because uh, the way she lived the life with this woman until she died uh, was very, very touching. Um, that was probably one of the most unusual ones as well, but it was very, very touching. Um, there was one that was your, oh, what everybody would like to see. Everybody in the family helped out. Everything was wonderful, and that was great. But most of them had issues. Somewhere along the line, they had problems, whether it was family members or they were having trouble getting resources. They were having trouble um, just getting through the day. And uh, so each one was different. And what I've heard from people is that they would read it and they would find one story. And I heard a couple of people say they kept it on their, um, their bedstand and read it almost like a, a meditation at night because it's like, that person, yes, what she's going through, that's what I'm going through. Did they express surprise that there was somebody else out there? When people read the book, they find out they're not the only one, they're not the only caregiver. You know, did, do you get that kind of surprised reaction from folks who get the book? Yes, I do. I still do. And there's far, far more out there now because of the growth of the Internet. I mean, when I first wrote the book, the Internet was not what it is. Um, I became a forum moderator quite 
shortly after that online, and things did start to grow, but um, still there's a lot of loneliness, and those people were so glad to talk to someone else who got it, and that was the whole point of the book, was to connect people with that idea and to help caregivers realize they really aren't alone, and if they have thoughts, this is important to me, if they have thoughts that are not necessarily lovely, they're not the first person who thought that, and... Yeah, that's a tough one when people realize they think, oh, I'm a terrible person because I'm not happy. I don't feel love in my heart the whole time, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, thoughts like I'd like to take a chainsaw to my care recipient. (laughs) Well, I get that and all kinds of things, including death. I mean, I wrote early on for one of my uh, the websites that I write for, um, and it's still getting a lot of hits, is about uh, grief and relief. Uh, when someone dies, and, and, and you know, they say, I can't believe it, I feel some relief, and I'd say, well, why wouldn't you? You've been watching them suffer for how many years? I mean, you're not right. a terrible person to have these mixed feelings. It's only human. And because I'd been through so much with so many people, I think, you know, I'm not a professional, and uh, there is a definite place we need professionals in all of these issues. But I think they needed to hear from somebody who hadn't lived it. I don't think you should sell yourself short. You obviously are a professional. You spent more time, (laughs) more hours, more days working on this whole issue of caregiving. We're going to come back and talk to you in just a couple of moments about uh, the work you're doing in preparing a new book. And something that jumped out at me is a comment that says that uh, one of the things you want to look into are the many changes that have occurred in caregiving over the last two decades. And I'm curious what you see from your vantage point and what those changes may be. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Podcasts of all of our programs are available, by the way. Ordinarily, they're posted a day or two after uh, this show airs on Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, a nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. But we indeed are rolling right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Uh, we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Carol Bradley Bursack, who is the founder of Minding Our Elders. And we're talking about the work she has done for uh, the past several decades. That's decades, as in 10-year clumps. She's been doing this for a lot of time. And you're working on a new book, is that correct? Uh, yes, it's one of the many things I'm doing right now, but I have um, begun, uh, out- I don't want to say it outlining because I'm not that organized, but I'm working on many of the truths of caregiving, some of the things, um, well, that I mentioned in the earlier segment about 
how caregivers actually feel as to how they think they need to present themselves to the world. Um, so that's something that I'm, I'm going to talk about. Um, I do want to talk about, in the book, changes that I've seen uh, in both good and bad, in, in uh, mostly good, in caregiver resources and what's available to them and what's been learned. And then I also, in the book, intend to talk more about living well until we die, you know, the dignity of dying and how that is also something that is evolving. Uh, there is much more acceptance of the fact that uh, we will die one day. Our culture seems to have um, finally come around to understanding that, and um, we need to do learn to do it in a way that is the best for the person who, if they have a choice. So I'll be writing about some of those things, too. I've witnessed a number of deaths, and I think that we handled them fairly well, but uh, it does put that on one's mind. Well, I saw your background with um, palliative care, and I can remember someone once saying that Americans thought probably that they were the only ones who were going to get out of this world alive. <laughs> well said. And so I'm hearing you say that maybe we're actually, the lights come on, no, we're not getting out alive. Um, and, you know, we, we can have some choices. We can choose how we want to live in later life um, and help, if we're a caregiver, help the person we're caring for also make choices about their time and their energy. I, I believe that's true. And one thing that I, has come to mind, uh, as a newspaper columnist, I write in, I've written this column for a week, every week for 12 years, so naturally I get a lot of questions. And uh, one of the things that I, I feel very loving children, and I felt this myself, I have to say, is that we have a tendency to want to wrap up our elder in bubble wrap and have them sit in a chair and not move because they might get hurt or something, you know, they're, they're not going to be okay. And um, I have learned through the years um, that we have to get away from that mindset. First of all, there is dignity in making choices. Our elders certainly need to be able to live their lives as much as they choose, as, as they can. How are you defining? How are you defining elders? That is very, very. That's a great question, actually. I am saying um, elders keeps getting um, older <laughs> as the years go by, but these days, people in their sixties and seventies, many of them are are still fairly young, actually, um, and yet they've got adult children who are saying, oh, I read on the internet that I'm supposed to start monitoring how you, you know, what you've got in your refrigerator, because now you're 65. And... So you know, yeah, Ron's laughing at that one. <laughs> right. I happen, well, to be, I happen to be 75, and if one of my kids walked over and tried to do a, uh, an analysis of my refrigerator, I'd toss them out on their ear. Good for you, and you keep that in mind. Uh, and this is what I try and tell... People, there's this other thing, you know, there's great awareness now for Alzheimer's, especially in dementia. And I, in fact, I work very hard on that. But I also try and tell people, everybody who gets over 65 doesn't have dementia. We are not all going to become cognitively uh, disabled as soon as we become senior citizens, whatever date you want to put that on. And uh, so, you know, we, we can't start to take over our parents' lives, and even if they need a little bit of assistance, they get to a point, okay, maybe mom and dad can't mow the lawn anymore, and you either hire that done or you can go over and do it, whatever. 
that does not mean that you're going to go in and tell them if they can go out to coffee with friends and that they really shouldn't be working in the garden because they might hurt themselves. And, you know, just take away all the choices just because they're getting older. And we have to be careful not to do that. I want to come back just quickly to something I had teased, and I want to be sure it doesn't get away from us. You talk about uh, you want to write about changes that have occurred in caregiving over the last two decades. What jumps out at you? What jumps out at me um, is, is one particular thing, and that goes with dementia. When my dad had his surgery that put him into instant dementia overnight, uh, I was totally green. I knew nothing about dementia. He was in a nursing home, and it was it was incredibly uh, obvious to me that he was never going to be able to come back to our world. So what do we do? I got into his. And basically, I'm a whimsical person, so perhaps that was easier for me. But I became his office manager, and I made him business cards, and I I made him degrees he thought he earned and put them up on walls. And, and you know, we did all of these things together. And then one day, a psychiatrist stopped by, and he just blew a gasket. Because he said, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to bring him back to this world. He was furious. And that was called reorienting. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know anything. But anyway, when he left, the nurse and I just shook our heads and we went back to doing what we were doing. <laughs> we well, weren't going to change anything. Which is the recommended people, you know, we don't reorient folks anymore. I mean, you, no. you intuitively, uh, going into his world is what people recommend now so you don't make him angry or fearful. Absolutely. And, and who wants, I mean, this is what happened is I watched that over the next, over 10 years, about five years in, um, a nurse came in and looked at dad's wall and it's like the different psychiatrist is with her and he's looking at the wall with all this and, and he said, is he a doctor? And the nurse shook, his, shook her head and kind of laughed and she said no and then she pointed at me kind of halfway over her shoulder and he started to laugh and he said, where did she learn that? So you see, that was the choice, the change. I didn't have to learn it. It was inside of me. But that was a change in what happened is they realized then that you had to, you, you had to validate people. You had to get into their, their world. And who wants to be told that they're wrong all the time? Well, there's a woman uh, that occasionally fills in for uh, Carol Zerniel, Peaches Hall, who has run memory units for years now manages a senior center here in San Antonio. And she tells the story of one of her uh, patients in the memory unit who uh, really wanted to date a nurse. And he was married, and his wife came to see him every day, but he had no idea it was his wife. So she rented a nurse's costume for the wife. And the wife came in, and she introduced nurse whatever uh, to this guy, and it made his day. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm just, I mean, I'm glad he had a wife to be the nurse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but really, I mean, that is that is wonderful. And there were people who looked at me that they thought that I was belittling dad. And I said, there is no way because we are we're partners in this. I mean, on some level, once in a while, he'd had what I called a moment of clarity. And he actually said to me once, thank you for helping an old man in an old man's fantasy. Wow. That's what he said to me. Oh. And another day he said, my universe has gotten so small. And, and these are things that would, it would, they would come in a blink of time and, and, and then go back. And I know you have to realize he did not have Alzheimer's, which is what most people are 
familiar with. But still, with dementia, you're talking a certain generalization that there are uh, cognitive issues. And um, that, on some level, and, and I believe this is true, whether it's Alzheimer's or anything else, on some level, he knew that there was another reality, but he had to live where he was because he was not able to get back into our reality. He couldn't get there. No, he couldn't get there. And, and when, he, when people huh. tried to force him there, it was, it was awful to watch, and I absolutely would not stand for it. Well, because he was, it was humiliating for him, and he was a very smart man, and he didn't lose his intelligence. Well, Carol tells a wonderful story about her mother-in-law. You were having a big event, and she thought it was for her, and you just let her live that dream. It was my wedding. Yes. Well, I didn't know if you wanted me to share those details, <laughs> but it was her wedding. But she wonderful. thought, the mother-in-law thought it was for her. Right. She sat on the stage you know, in the church, and people came by, you know, the reception line, they congratulated me, and then they would go and shake her hand, and she was just, you know, queen for the day. It was oh, perfect. that is a wonderful story. That is so wonderful. And look at the joy she had, and who did it hurt? Well, and that That's was what it. I used to say. Who, who does it hurt to go along with me? And my father-in-law had told me they weren't coming. He said, she's going to embarrass us, we're not coming. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I, I don't embarrass that easily. Just come, whatever happens, happens. It'll be, all be fine. Well, and the beauty, oh. your, your ego is such that you didn't see that as a problem at all. No, no, no. Yeah. But, you know, like I say, well, you would, for those of us who have been around older folks a sure. lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we only have about a minute or so left. And before we let you go, Carol, what are the big takeaways that you've learned about caregiving uh, that you could share with some of our Caregiver SOS on-air listeners? Um, I would say don't you, there is no perfect caregiver. You can't be one. And if you're too hard on yourself, you're going to be hard on the person you're caring for, too, because you're going to be struggling to be perfect. Um, try, and, try and lighten up a little bit and um, go with them. Try and find out where they are. Where are they today? And try and join them there and do your best uh, to do that. And this is for people who are cognitively impaired. The other takeaway is what we were talking about earlier. Don't make your parents ancient when they are just, uh, you know, like older, middle-aged. <laughs> just let them, um, you know, be, be friends with your parents. And then if they need help, you'll be able to figure that out. And for folks who want to get a hold of your book or find out more about you. They can go to mindingourelders.com and they'll get everything they need. Um, the book is, uh, there's a link for the book there and they'll find out all kinds of things about me. Perfect. Carol Bradley Bursack, thank you. You're a delight to talk to, and we're going to put you on the list. Not many people make this list, but you're on the list of we'll have you back one day soon. That would be wonderful. I appreciate it. This has been just very enjoyable. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking with you. She's pretty cool, and you think about all the wisdom that's in that head. I know. It's wonderful. That's cool. You had to put it in a bottle or put it in a book. We want to thank you so much for joining us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. 
What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we're delighted to flip to Take 10, where Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, an expert in caregiving and addictions, joins us, along with Carol Zernil and me, I'm Ron Aaron. And we have an interesting topic for today's Take 10, Carol, and it's not an oxymoron, right? It's not, it's not intended to be an oxymoron. Uh, my topic was happiness and caregiving. And by that you mean? And by that I mean, I was listening to um, a program talking about happiness and lottery winners and how, you know, if you one day you buy a lottery ticket and the next day you're a millionaire. So how long does the happiness last? And what happens is it, it, it lasts about a year before people go back to the same happy level they were before they won the millions. And the point is that, you know, we as, as humans we adjust to the new normal. And so what I was wondering, Jamie, is, you know, if caregiving becomes the new normal with all of the stress and the ups and downs and all those appointments, if that's what we're experiencing as our new normal, does that make it harder for us to experience happiness or do we, do we bounce back from, you know, this caregiving or do we have to wait for it's over? What does that do to our mood? Well, you know, happiness is a, a relative concept. Um, in fact, it, <laughs> there's a mutually exclusive part. It's not necessarily about relatives, right? Um, but it, happiness is a mindset. And so, you know, we have to first understand and take into account that caregiving is a sacred path and not necessarily the, the drudgery we, we associate it with. We have to come into this with a positive mindset. And that's why as a therapist, I always think it's critical if we're going to find happiness and maintain happiness for us to find a therapist or a place where we can process the negative um, thought process that we normally have going down that rabbit hole, if you will. Well, one of the things I often hear you talk about is being grateful. Um, and this particular researcher was saying that Expressing gratitude in, you know, really taking, stopping and taking stock of things that we are grateful for, you know, gets us out of that, um, you know, this, the new normal, the normal mindset. It jars us out of that and it forces us to think about our lives in a different way. So what, what is it about being grateful, do you think, that helps to, to change our mindset? Well, it creates a positive impact. On, on our health, if you will. It allows us to get out of our mind, just like you said, and really concentrate on the process at hand, not what is negative, 
but what we appreciate out of it. And in caregiving, I believe we can appreciate the development of meaningful relationships that we can actually share with our loved ones. We, we do know that this is a chronic or terminal or maybe an acute issue, but whatever it is, it's changed our lives. And if we can look at it as a happy caregiver in, in a way to really value the relationships in front of us, finding out all the cool things we never found out before, I really think that's where gratitude works the best. So talk to me a little bit about what is happiness. Is that a, a endomorphin, a, a chemical process that uh, triggers something in our brains? Is it, you know, the old line that uh, I say, well, Carol, you just make me so happy. What does that mean? Well, happiness, as I said initially, is a relative concept. And if you ask the Buddha, he'll tell you, uh, don't get too happy and don't get too sad. Because, yes, you're right, happiness is a chemical response. It can be the, the shooting of serotonin in our minds, and, and it could be something that, that just makes us happy for that moment. But it also raises expectations, Ron. It creates this uh, process where I always say expectations are the seeds of resentment. So, you know, getting happy um, is okay, but if we lived our life in some mindful way and we were able to appreciate the fact that there will be highs and there will be lows, there will be happiness, there will be unhappiness, and we just have to find the, the middle path, I think we'll be a lot better. Well, I'm glad that you said um, that we have to, you, you talked about expectations, because one of the things they, I heard was that the reason lottery winners stop being as happy, you know, have that heightened happiness a year later, is now that they bought all the stuff, they got the house and the car, their expectations are higher and they kind of expect what they have, and so it stops being all shiny and new. So realizing what our expectations are, if we're conscious or mindful of our expectations, that could be a big step into you know being able to help gauge our moods and maybe help us find that happiness place. You know, that makes so much sense that we, we have those expectations once we hit the lottery and that we change our, our entire thought process fitting ourselves in sort of this, you know, uh, imaginary picture world a year from now. You're so right. Uh, it's so important to stay grounded. And to stay grounded, we really need to have a really good support system around us so we don't let those expectations get too out of control. Uh, that's all the more reason, Carol, is, is, you, know, you, you know my mantra, support group, support group, support group. Uh, if you have a caregiver SOS or you've got something around you, take advantage of it because People will reflect back to you, especially those people we become closest to or, you know, feel like are as part of our family of choice. And they'll just take those expectations, if you will, and, and, and get you in a real moment, maybe pop the bubble a bit and get you on the path. Sage advice from Dr. Jimmy Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. Can you create your own happiness or is it externally generated? If it's externally generated, Ron, it becomes like, uh, I hate to say this, it becomes an addiction. You know, the, the definition of addiction, you've always heard me say, is to do any behavior despite adverse consequences. If you look for it to come from outside, it's going to be what we call co-addiction or co-dependency, uh, where uh, people, places, and things make us happy. So we have to find the answer from within. We have to go, and, and that's why the mindful path seems to be a path that is working so well for caregivers as they, you know, take time to meditate. They take time to be with people who 
who keep their feet to the ground, if you will. And also, as I've always mentioned, um, if you're looking for outside happiness as, and trying to get self-care, the two don't work. Those are mutually exclusive. You have to find that self-care, and, and that's a, a process that happens from within. Well, you mentioned, you know, kind of Zen Buddha thinking earlier, um, and I was thinking about happiness and finding those moments of happiness and caregiving. I have a picture of my mom and my dad, and my dad would pick my mom up when she was in memory care, and he would take her out for ice cream. And as long as you didn't put nuts on the hot fudge sundae, it was a really nice moment. And so I remember sitting across from them, and there's dad eating his hot fudge sundae and mom eating her hot fudge sundae. And it was just, you know, those were just nice little moments that we all relaxed and just kind of enjoyed the hot fudge sundaes. You see what you've done? You started your your caregiver gratitude list. That's precisely what we're talking about. It's kind of finding the meaningfulness in the relationship. It's seeing things we've never really have seen before. It's kind of leading us down a path of more positive emotions and not having this expectation that we have to be, you know, cajoled or, or made happy by, by the uh, environment around us. So I, I think that's a wonderful story. Our neighbor, I uh, know your parents. Our, our neighbor Jimmy has his uh, uh, wife in a memory unit and Every Saturday morning, he takes her to get her hair done. He says she doesn't know what they're doing. She didn't ask for it, but it makes him really happy. Wow. So that's precisely, I think, why we as, as people who work with caregivers see things like, like just what you said, your hair, your nails, massage. I mean, caregivers really don't get touched in a meaningful way. Uh, they feel dis, you know, dis enfranchised, if you will. They feel detached from the environment. But those things really make us feel better. And also helping sort of normal, make help the other person feel normal or or doing something that's normal uh, rather than always being at a doctor's appointment. Yeah, that makes so much sense. If we understand that this self-care, this this pursuit of happiness on our own is prescriptive for our loved one and takes them away from this sort of routine of going to doctor's appointments and gives them a moment of happiness and peace, then we become part of the treatment process in a very powerful way. Carol needs 10 seconds. Go. Well, I just want to say that, so I think we've decided that happiness and caregiving is not an oxymoron. Um, It may not be evident. It may not be obvious, but it's not an oxymoron. That's perfect. Dr. Jamie Heisman, thank you. This has been fascinating. We're talking on Take 10 about issues that affect families and caregiving in particular. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman at Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We're delighted to have you with us Sundays at 6 p.m. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, 
I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there.